0: Today's passage is 1 John, chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is God's word.
1: Let's pray. Father God, we need your help. Perhaps not so much in understanding your word tonight, for it is abundantly clear but we certainly need your help in living it out. Father, help us, heal us from our lovelessness. Give us the heart of Christ that we might love like him. For your glory's sake, amen. Jesus says, love one another. We're a culture that I think is in some confusion about lover, and I can prove it to you with just two words, love, island. Any society that thinks that is what love looks like (laughs) Seriously. Now you may well be aware that there, there are three different Greek words actually that we translate as love in the English. Firstly there's eros which is erotic love and then there is philos. Philos is sort of brotherly affection and finally there is agape. Agape is sacrificial self-giving love and the truth is that if we are to emerge from the, the present crisis As a church, as a city, as a nation, as a society, if we're to emerge healthy and well, then what we most desperately need right now is agape, sacrificial love. And we're going to need that as individuals if we're going to serve the culture around us. Now, we're spending three weeks thinking about what Jesus has to say to us in the time of COVID-19. And tonight, he says to us, "Love one another." He says that, and then in John, in one John 3, 16 to eighteen, John explains what that means to love one another. So, turn with me, one John three, and we'll start actually at chapter uh, chapter three and verse eleven. For this is the message you heard from the beginning: we should love one another. John is quoting what Jesus said on the night before he died on the cross, at words that he spoke while kneeling on the floor before a bowl of filthy water, having just washed the sweaty, grimy feet of the disciples with his hands, the hands of God in human flesh. The feet of 11 men who he knew were about to desert him in his hour of need. And the feet of one man who he knew for a few pieces of silver had just betrayed him. But the heart of Jesus Christ is sacrificial, self-giving love. John then splits humanity into two distinct groups. Verse 12, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother? And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. There's not time to look at these verses in detail, because what I really want to do is to dig into verses 16 to 18 and the explanation of love that's there. But broadly, um, what happens in these verses is that John holds up to us two patterns, two ways of life. There is Christ and there is Cain. Now Cain was the first murderer in human history, the eldest son of Adam and Eve, and he slaughtered his own brother, Abel, when he became angry with him, when Abel got what he wanted, really. And John says, Look, you can't call yourself a Christian if your life is, is more patterned on Cain than on Christ. Well, then about Eve, but I've never killed anybody, so job done. All fine. Well, not so fast. You see, just as none of us actually, if we're honest, have ever risen as high as Jesus Christ when it comes to sacrificial love. So it's very unlikely that many of us have sunk quite as low as Cain when it comes to being unloving. But the challenge for us is which road am I travelling on? Uh, there is the road following Christ, which is, which is a road of self-sacrificial love in the service of others, a road that ended with him giving up his own life for us. Or there is the road following Cain, which is all about serving self, not caring for others. Now, I can't imagine that many, I can't imagine actually if if any of us would, would just kill somebody because they have what I want. But we might kill their reputation. We might seek to kill a relationship of theirs, or a promotion if it's within our power. And we might well gloat and delight internally when they fall down. But again, some of us would still say, perhaps many of us would still say, no, look, that's just not me. But Cain's road is paved with attitudes that may not be so far from us, even if the destination of murder is a long way away. It's a road paved with just indifference to the needs of others. It's a road paved with, we're grudging service if I have to serve at all. It's a road paved with the subconscious assumption that my needs are what matters most, that I come first. The attitude at the heart of Cain is the attitude that sees me, my needs, my wants, my desires as the most important thing in life. Now, we may not grab by the throat as Cain did, but it's pretty easy to find ourselves grabbing the last loo rolls, the last pasta, the last rice in the supermarket with no thought at all to the poor NHS workers who only get off their night shift quite late when the supermarkets have been scavenged bare and there is just nothing left for them as hungry and tired as they are. That is the heart of Cain. The heart that famously asked, am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) The heart that sees me and my needs, but it's just blind to the needs of others. It's blind to the responsibilities I have towards others. But Jesus says, love one another. And then in verses 16 to 18, John fleshes out for us what it is that Jesus meant by that. The first thing we see is that love gives what I have to supply what you need. Love gives what I have to supply what you need. Look at verse 16. It's not difficult to understand But living it out is a challenge that's beyond any of us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It teaches that true love gives what I have to supply what you need. That's what it teaches. And true love is shown for us, modelled for us in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And as he does so, I think we see both the depth of true love, but also its breadth its depth and its breadth. We see the depth in what Jesus gave. He laid down his life for us. Now, I don't know if uh, any of you have ever had the awful experience of, uh, of a, um, a wild forest fire raging towards your home or, or a flood threatening to, to sweep your home away and have had to work out what matters to you most and gather up your treasured possessions and flee. What are your most treasured possessions? What is most important to you? Jesus Christ was willing to give up everything to save us. You see, since before time, as God the Son, he enjoyed the glory and the delight and the love of being God, the happiest, the holiest being in all existence, enjoying a perfect, laughter-filled, loving relationship with the Father and the Spirit. And yet he was willing to turn away from that, to give up the glory and the worship of heaven, when we needed him to come to save us. Now we needed saving because we all stand as condemned before God. Because all of us, all of us have loved ourselves too much and have loved others far, far too little. We've ignored and and rejected God and his good and life-giving ways. And we've used or ignored or trampled on precious beings made in the image of God. And so the truth is, that we stand condemned before God. The shadow of Cain lives in each of us and none of us deserves to share in the life and the love and the joy and the beauty of God that he has planned for all eternity. And the only way for us to be forgiven was for Jesus to become a lowly human like us to save lowly humans. The only way for us to be saved was for him to take our lovelessness, our indifference, our pride, our heartlessness, our hatred. To take it upon himself and to suffer the punishment of death that you and I rightly deserve for the way that we've treated others and God. Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, he voluntarily submitted himself to death, allowed himself to be put to death so that we could be saved. And that is the depth of true love. It gives all that it has to meet all that we need. That's what love does. Jesus also shows the breadth of love. Uh, Throughout 1 John, John has addressed the, the Christians as dear children, stressing, reminding them that they are children of God now. They relate to God as a father. But here, As he impresses on them the need to love, he calls them brothers and sisters, reminding them of the familial bonds, the ties that mean they have an obligation to love one another above what they might have thought. But this is no narrow, exclusive love. This is not about loving us and who cares about them, which might seem seem an odd thing to say when you look at what verse 16 actually says. But it's not because... Verse 16 says that true love is like the love of Jesus Christ. And Jesus died for people who were not like him. Actually, Jesus died for us when we didn't like him. He died for people who were rejecting, ignoring, people who would kill him when he came to save them. We were not his dearly loved children when he died for us. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God shows his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if we're to be genuine followers of Jesus, then this is a time when our love needs to reach beyond the narrow confines of my household, my family, my church. Now, of course, there are particular familial ties within church. That means we ought to be a radical example of a loving community that shows others how good God's ways are. But the moment that we put up the barriers, the moment that we think that our duty to love stops there, and who cares about those on the outside, that is the moment we have ceased to reflect the love of Jesus Christ. That is the moment we have stopped being his true followers. It's been said lots before already, but it is one of the striking features of the early church. In fact, historian Rodney Stark argues strongly that the the thing that Christianity from this uh, tiny little marginalized sect with very little influence or power into the official religion of the Roman Empire. The, the, the real growth spurt impetus for Christianity came because of the way that Christians responded to the plagues, in particular the plagues that swept through the Roman Empire in the third century. While the ruling elites fled from the cities, the Christians stayed and they stayed to minister not just to each other but to minister to everybody they risked their lives to serve the people who had mocked belittled excluded marginalized or even persecuted them in other words they loved others in exactly the same way that Jesus loves others that's what love does the death of jesus christ is unique The death of Jesus is an unrepeatable event. Uh, None of us can, can die for the sins of the world as he does. But it is also a model, a pattern, an example of what true love looks like. And the honest reality is that most of the time, most of us are nothing like that. I think about myself. I love myself. And the challenge, if I'm to be a follower of Jesus Christ is whether I am willing to give myself, to pour myself out for others. And will I do so now? So firstly, love gives what I have to supply what you need. Secondly, we see from verses 17 to 18, I think that love does stuff and love does what it said it would. Uh, There are some contrasts really drawn in these verses to help us work out a little bit more what it might look like in practice to love like this. Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So you get two contrasting pairs, if you can see, not with words, but with action, not with speech, but with truth. And I think that means love does stuff and love does what it said it would do. So firstly, love does stuff. Let us not love with words but with actions, which builds on verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Now, the point is not against words. Words are actually the great work of John's life. He spent his life speaking about and then writing about Jesus Christ, right at the end of his gospel, which is his reliable historical eyewitness account of the life of Jesus Christ. He writes these very striking words in John 20, verse 31. Jesus did many other things, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, he's saying these words, if you believe them, they enable you to meet the real Jesus Christ and to receive eternal life and forgiveness through him. Some of the most loving things we can do involve words, especially now at the time of social distancing. Certainly nothing is more loving than to tell people about the life and the forgiveness that is an offer to any of us, to all of us through Jesus Christ. So his point is not against words, but his point is against cheap words where expensive action is what is really required against cheap words where it's expensive action that is really required. And I wonder if this isn't a word in season for our generation, our culture in particular. I don't know if any of you, uh, I imagine most of you will have seen probably took part in the, in the, the rounds of applause for, for the care workers, the NHS workers, uh, last night, um, a couple of <laughs> nights ago, and, and then the week before. It was uh, I'm quite cynical, if I'm honest, but it was strangely moving to stand on the, on the doorstep with everybody else in the street and just hear the applause rippling up and down the street, the cheering, people are playing musical instruments, and, and just you could hear the echoing applause drifting in from the surrounding roads. It was quite, quite a moving moment, actually. But the truth is, it is a whole lot easier to stand and clap or to post about it on social media than were to actually obey the rules that will limit my exposure to other people and will help suppress the spread of the virus. Much easier to clap a round of applause, much easier to post about it on social media than to volunteer to serve in the community with time I'd rather spend sitting watching Netflix or to take the trouble to find out where the the poor and the vulnerable are in my community so that I can perhaps do something rather than let them become a burden on other people. Love does stuff. It's easier to express concern, I guess thinking of our own church family, for the welfare of those whose income has just disappeared overnight. Much easier to express concern and offer prayers than to dig deep into my pockets and to contribute to the deacon's fund, as many have done with amazing generosity in recent weeks. So uh, love doesn't trade cheap words when what's really required is expensive actions. But secondly, love not with speech, but in truth. And I think the point here is that love is true to what it says. Uh, It's true in the sense of it does what it's promised. I guess the married couples here will know that it's it's pretty easy to stand up in a church on a wedding day and to promise to love, comfort, honour and protect until death has do part. It's quite another thing ten years down the line once some of the shine has come off, once a few more of the bad habits have emerged, once the drudge and toil of daily life have taken its toll. Much, much harder to live out those promises then. But followers of Jesus... Well, we must be true to our promises to love, actually just as Jesus was. Right at the beginning of time, just after Adam and Eve had brought the curse and the misery of sin into the world, God made a promise. God promised that he would, he would crush the serpent, that he would undo the curse of sin and death. But as weeks turned into months, turned into years, turned into decades, turned into centuries, well, the full ugliness and unworthiness of humanity emerged We saw the rape and the murder and the gossip and the greed and the pride and the racism. And even God's own people turned out to be faithless, ungrateful and wholly undeserving. And yet, and yet when the time came, God did not fail to fulfil his promise to come and to die for the people he had promised to save, just as he promised to do. So often, though, as I reflect on these verses, I realise that I, we, are more Cain than Christ. I see my needs. I hoard what I want. I make excuses for what I do. I assume that what's going on in my life is more important. And so I'm happy to inconvenience others and ignore the cost that they might bear. I was talking... Um, this week, uh, to, a, to a teacher, and you, as you'll know, schools are only open to provide, uh, effectively to provide daycare for the children of key workers who cannot look after their children. That's the only reason schools remain open. A teacher was telling me that a uh, uh, couple of kids in their school whose parents said, look, we're key workers, we cannot look after them, we can't work from home. So uh, um, in spite of lots of teachers being away ill, uh, the school has this rota and they're looking after these kids and a few others. But then middle of the afternoon in Sainsbury's, who should she see? But this husband and wife, supposedly key workers, unable to look after their kids doing their weekly shop in the middle of the day. So easy to, to just think, well, I know those are the rules, but it's not, and we make excuses for ourselves and ignore the cost on others. The way of Christ, the way of love is very different. The way of Christ is to look at the needs of others and give whatever I can to supply it. The way of Christ is to do what is best for everybody and to inconvenience myself rather than other people. Let's think one or two practicalities. Firstly, love those who are around you. Love those who are around you. As C.S. Lewis pointed out, it is a whole lot easier to love capital H humanity than individual humans. Especially if you find yourself cooped up in a flat with individual humans you might not have ever chosen to spend month after month cooped up in a flat with. But what we must do is to ask, what can I do to serve these people? Many of us will find ourselves back with family. I guess many, especially in the evening service, will be living with parents having not done so for many, many years. And for some, it'll be a delight. For others... And for some, it will be a delight for a few days. What does love do? Love says, I must serve these people. Not, how can I fit serving these people into my schedule? Not, what's the most helpful thing I can do that will put me out the least, But what is the most helpful thing I can do to love them? It may involve uh, my hands washing or cooking or cleaning. It may involve my feet, offering to to go out and to do the weekly shop, doing battle, waiting in the queues at the supermarket. It may involve my ears, giving people time to listen to their anxieties and their concerns. It may involve my lips, speaking words of encouragement and comfort, sharing the gospel with those lacking hope. But whether it's family or flatmates, pray, ask God, God help me to see what the most loving thing I can do to serve these people is. Secondly, uh, love those who are not like you. In other words, be the hands and feet of Christ, not just in your house, but more broadly. Sometimes that means uh, loving those you'll never meet by obeying the rules on social distancing and on staying at home for the sake of other people that the, the virus doesn't spread. Sometimes it'll mean taking the trouble to volunteer in the local community, finding out what opportunities there are and seeking to be the hands and feet of Christ more broadly. But we can't stop quite there before we close. You see, wonderfully, Jesus does more than just show us the pattern of what love looks like and say, just you get on with it. Because the truth is, it's a pattern none of us can live up to. But Jesus doesn't just give us the pattern, he also gives us the power to love. Because we're not just observers at the death of Jesus Christ. As we look at the cross, we're involved. On the cross, he's dying for me, for you. It is you that he loves as he hangs and dies for the sins of humanity. Uh, Psychologists agree that if a child is to grow healthy and able to show love to other people, the most important thing that they need, more than anything else, most fundamental and most foundational, that child needs not uh, clear lessons explaining uh, why love is really important or an understanding of uh, what loving acts might look like. What the child needs most is to receive that kind of love themselves. Because once you've received that love, you're able then to show it to others. And what Jesus Christ offers us at the cross is a limitless, fathomless ocean of love poured out onto us so that we can pour it out onto others. And this is what's available to each and every one of us through Jesus today. Put your trust in him as the one who died for you to save you from your sins receive his love, and then go out and love one another. Let me pray. Our Father God, we are undone when we think about the love of Jesus Christ compared with the love of my heart. Help us, we pray, to repent, to turn back to the cross. Help us to find at the cross forgiveness for my failure to love. Help us also to find your love poured out to us in Jesus Christ that we might have the reserves we need, to go out and love uh, those around us and those beyond in the community. Help us, we pray, to make a difference at this time for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the good of people made in your image throughout our city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.